make noise. Make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise. Make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise, make noise. Make noise, make noise. Make noise. Man has been in the business for a long time. Highly respected. I love him. I don't know anybody who's ever had a bad word to say about this man. He's a pioneer in more ways than you can imagine. My man D Nice. What's up, D? What up, Scoop? How you doing? Sorry, feel? Oh no, I'm I'm good, man. Just getting ready for 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 uh, my fiftieth. So just oh. been a little hectic on this end. I got it. I'm I got little, it, man. I'm a little scruffy right now before I get my shave for the birthday. When is your birthday, bro? When's your birthday? Uh, Friday. Happy June birthday! Team. Happy birthday! I'm a Juneteenth baby. Yup. So you and my daughter Tiana share a birthday, so I'll never forget that. Now I'll be like, Tiana, it's your birthday. It's D Nice's birthday. Maybe he'll DJ for you. Probably not because he's gonna charge you a hell of a lot of money. Go and be <laughs> celebrate by yourself. So up, let's, let's start. Huh? Let's start here. Here's what it says on your Wikipedia: Beatboxer. I forgot that you were the TR808, so I, I got. I was like, wow, damn, he's done so much. Rapper, of course, you did. You did an album to the rescue. Was one of my favorite records. I always tell you that every time I yes, see you. Yes, you do. It's, it's, it's to the rescue nights. To the rescue is probably like. One of the top 25 records in my iPod. Um, wow, that's iPod. crazy. Yeah, that's a fact. To the rescue, nice. To the rescue. It's about that time for the hype for one that we got. Woo, I love that. I love that. I, I even forgot music. about those lyrics, man. <laughs> I, I love that. Of course, of course, we know you as being a photographer, a producer. You uh, uh, you put people on. You put Kid Rock. You put Kid Rock in Jive. Were you an A&R there, or were you just, or you just kind of facilitated the deal? No, just facilitated the, the opportunity from, um, yeah, I wasn't, I never worked for, I've actually never worked for anyone, but yeah. Um, yeah. Just Man, kind of I, I need this kind of intro every, I'm like, you reminded me of all of the good stuff, bro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, we, and, and we're going to get to it. Let's start with BDP. How did you wind up with Boogie Down Productions? Um, my, my cousin worked at the men's shelter where Scott LaRock worked and Karis lived. And um, yeah, I just went to visit him. And it was literally like that. I, I promise you, it, there's no extra to it of like, I didn't audition. It was Scott LaRock, just like, yo, I want you to be down with the crew, man. And that was it. Yeah. That, that was it? That was it, bro. That was it. Early on, just, there was no, hey, I got, these, I got this demo for you. It was strictly intro. Yo, you look like you should be doing this. Yo, you should be down with my crew, like just like that. Do Do you remember the day that you were quote unquote like put down with BDP? I mean, I don't remember the date. I mean, you know. No, but no, the no. day the day it happened, like the day that he said, "Yo, I want you to rock with us." I mean, it was that day, right there. Yeah, it was literally right. That's what I'm saying. It was no, there's no extra to the story. It was literally like, "Yo, what's up? Oh, my cousin, I wanted you to meet him. I told you he can rap." Yo, you look like, like you could be a young LL Cool J. You should be down with my crew. It was simp- It was just like that. Wow! Wow! Yeah, okay. yeah. What is yeah. the, what is the best time you ever had during that time you were with BDP? Man, I mean, I, honestly though, you know, Scoop, like I don't, I don't really live in the past like that. So it's not even. I don't really have those kinds of uh, memories in, in terms of like. I mean, outside of like us releasing the albums, like I don't remember any like any one specific thing, you know. Like when you've had a life, the the type of life that I've had, 
where, you know, it's been multiple things that I've done in this 50 years. Um, yeah, you tend to not focus on that, you know, like, especially when it comes to like reinventing yourself and, you know, me reinventing myself happened multiple times throughout my lifetime. So like, I never hold on to it. It could be good or bad, you know, it's probably going to be bad when it's time for me to write my memoirs. But like, in terms of like the way I've lived, it's never been uh, just kind of like stuck on one thing, you know, like I can't even tell you any, I remember studio moments. Of course. I remember being in the studio making records with KRS and Rebecca Foster engineering, you know, who's always on, on IG with us. And she, you know, she, I still work with her, you know, she still advances my shows now, you know, um, but like, yeah, there's no, I, I can remember most of what happened to me as a DJ more than I remember all of the old school things. That's crazy, man. Like, and, and, and it must've been something to be there. You were there when, when the first album Criminal Minded was made, you were like you were in the studio for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been, you know maybe um, I was there for for the one song I wasn't there for was The Bridge Is Over. That was kind of like Scott and Chris went right into the studio. Actually, KRS went to the studio and really played that piano line and everything. But like everything else, work for my sponsors, South Bronx. You know, I worked on obviously the PS3. I did the beatbox on that. You know. Um, they were probably I was probably in there with about sixty percent of the album, you know, not a hundred percent of it, sixty percent. For for by all means necessary, I was in the studio for every session. I pretty much co-produced that entire album with KRS, you know. Even though I only got co-production credit on like one song, I literally worked on almost every single one of those records except for a song called "You're Slipping." I didn't work on that with them, but other than that, I was in the studio for every record. Um, you know, uh, the the album after that was um, because that's when my first album came out. So that was Edutainment. Edutainment, mm -hmm. I only worked on a couple of songs on there. Um, yeah, I don't even remember the names of the songs, but I worked on a couple of songs on that album because I was also working on my own, my, my solo album at the same time. So, um, yeah, and, and then um, uh, the last... BDP album I worked on was uh, the blueprint of hip hop. It was called uh, Ghetto Music, the blueprint of hip hop, and I worked on Why Is That with uh, Mick Boo. Mick Boo found the sample, and then you know I looped that up, and then Karis put his scratches on it, and blah blah blah. But yeah, I worked on a lot of the BDP stuff, man. I mean, not to take full credit for anything, you know, because the visionary is Karis One. There's no BDP without Scott and Karis, so. Um, but yeah, you know, I definitely contributed a lot to the to the group. How how did being in BDP affect you? Did it make you more self aware, more righteous? Do you carry any of that with you today? Um, so, so Chris's thing. I mean, Chris's thing wasn't necessarily about righteousness. You know, he was definitely teaching. It wasn't like Rakim. It wasn't like Paris from the West Coast. It wasn't like that. Chris's Ooh. thing was like a combination of like battle raps and being conscious, but it wasn't fully focused on that. You know, Rakim, you know, Rakim was super young and he was talking about spirituality, 5% nation, you know, like I learned a lot from that. You know, what I learned from KRS has been more like straight MCing and then also having like the balance between music and, 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 you know, like Chris is always, he was always, um, 
he, he was always KRS. He, you know, he was ahead of a lot of people in terms of like battle styles and 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 uh, and kind of street lyrics or street storytelling. Um, but like as far as like consciousness, I learned I learned more about politics from Chuck D. You know, like, but I learned more about hip hop from being in the group with Karis One because he, he is. I mean, obviously, I haven't worked with him in years, but he was always uh, just amazing when it comes to lyrics. I mean, that dude would just pull lyrics out, and he had like lyrics for every MC that, if any, if if, if Redman wanted to battle him, he had already had a song written about Redman. Like Chris was that that kind of dude, or is that kind of dude? I don't want to speak in past tense. Um, but um, the the thing that I learned most of from from BDP was always based on learning how to do everything, and that's why I do everything now. So I wasn't the lead rapper in the group. I wasn't the lead DJ in the group. I wasn't, you know, you know, the lead producer in the group. It was more about learning how to do all of these things to become, you know, self sufficient. And um, and so that's probably the biggest lesson that I learned from BDP. You know, you are, and people, if you don't know anything about D-Nice, I will tell you, this man is the absolute master of pivoting and reinvention. Like like he said, he's reinvented himself so many times. So that's that's very, that's very interesting to me that you were in a situation where you did a little bit of everything, which kind of taught you how to be able to move and shake and do certain things. Scott LaRock was on the trajectory to be huge in hip-hop. Had he been alive today, what do you think he'd be doing? I mean, if Scott was alive today, I, I can only imagine. Once again, I don't really live like that in terms of right. like, but I will put it out there right now because I know the type of person that he was. I mean, he would have been, it would have been a bad boy situation. It would have been a Rockefeller situation. It would have been aftermath or death row because Scott was all always about ownership and about understanding the business side of it. Uh, that's a man who walked around with his briefcase every day to every meeting. So yes, it would have been like that type of situation. Um, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I imagine. Uh, but you know, like I think a little bit of Scholar Rock lives within all of us. You know, especially in in the group. You know, with KRS, you know, he's still doing his independent stuff. Um, the lessons that I learned from Scholar Rock in terms of like understanding every aspect of whatever business you in has totally impacted my life. You know, like. I threw a tantrum when he was like, I wasn't going to rap on the Criminal Minded album. I was upset. Like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, your role is to learn everything. Your role is to, to if something were to happen, how you would take over that part. If something were to happen here, you would be there. And, like, those lessons were very important to where I am right now. Wow. The fact that he said that not knowing what would happen is, like, crazy. So when you hear that, you're probably in your mind saying, wow, he prepared me for everything that was coming. And, and that in itself is probably one of the biggest lessons ever. Now listen, people, every night at 6 p.m., I'm here on live doing interviews and more. Tonight is D-Nice. Tomorrow, I'm letting everybody show their talent. Saturday, I'm doing what I am. And if you haven't followed me, follow me so you know who's going to come up tomorrow or the next day or whatever. D-Nice is here with us. How did you wind up getting into photography? Because I always wanted to know that. How did, how did you wind up doing that? Uh, photography started for me back when I was um, when we were on our first tour um, with Eric B and Rakim and Dougie and Kumo D and I you know I borrowed a camera from my buddy Tony Rasan and you know I started taking pictures and, you know I left it alone for for a number of years but like you know every experience that I've had 
led me to the next one. So the experience of like not having a hip hop career made me respect everything. It made, made me respect life. You know, like when, when the clapping stopped, it was like, all right, well, what do you do? And I looked back and I, have, I didn't have many things tangible to like show my family. Like, oh, I had been all over the world, I'd done this and, you know, I traveled here. Um, so photography for me was always a way to just, I mean, like with everyone that documents your life, you know, like I don't really, uh, you know, I mean, the selfie culture is cool. I think it's cool because, you know, obviously people do enjoy showing, you know, the world, like where they are in the world, but I like it in reverse. I like to show people what's how beautiful the world is, you know, and how beautiful other artists are, you know, and, um, you know, like my love of photography stems from Gordon Parks um, and a, a gentleman by the name of Jim Marshall. Um, Gordon photographed me years ago, you know, for, well, photographed a bunch of rappers. I don't want to make it seem like it was just me. It was a bunch of rappers for a project called The Great Day in Harlem. So mm -hmm. based on that iconic jazz shot that mm -hmm. was shot in Harlem. And mm -hmm. Gordon Parks recreated it for for XXL magazine. And, you know, like, I, you know, I'm a producer at heart. So the entire time while he was setting up things, I was just watching and paying attention to him. And I saw that how this man who was, you know, probably in his 70s, late 70s at the time, I believe he passed when he was in his 90s. So he was in, in his 70s for sure, still had love for for his craft and still respected his craft and still like you can see it you can you know you can see it in the in the way that he directed everyone and even at that age so i just imagine like you know i, I don't want to be a 70 year old rapper and i didn't want to be a 70 year old rapper so i knew in that point when i saw him i was like man i gotta find something that i'm passionate about like that that i can do when i'm older and it happened to be photography and it was kind of divine where um, I went to see a, a show, not a Broadway show, but a play um, that was starring like the guy who played um, Hawk from a man called Hawk, Avery Brooks. And uh, it was a one man show. He was doing this Ro uh, Paul Robeson show. And I went alone and the person I sat next to was Gordon Parks. And, you know, during the intermission, I was able to like talk to Gordon and talk to him about photography respectfully, you know, respecting his space and, you know, just ask, you know, a few, ask a few questions. You know, obviously I'm quite sure he was getting those questions from every photographer or every, you know, wannabe photographer. Um, and those, those, a moment like that kind of like, kind of shifted me into really wanting to learn the craft. And I ended up going to school for photography and then I started shooting projects and album covers and, you know, from Paul Thomas to, you know, I shot a project for Talib Kweli. I shot a campaign for 50 Cent, one of his uh, Reebok, did, or Reebok campaigns. Um, you know, feature photographer on America's Next Top Model to, you know, and, you know, touring with Mary J in Europe as, you know, taking pictures. And, um, but I always have a love and respect for photography. You know, that's why I don't, I shoot every day, no matter what. I don't always post and show, but I shoot every day. Um, and I really do it to document the culture. So one day when, you know, maybe two years from now or a year from now, you never know where I can do an exhibition based on the way I even see my artist friends. And, you know, I photographed you in a parking lot. You know what I mean? Like in a parking garage, rather. You know what I mean? Like, so, and it's just really to show my artist friends the way I see them. Like, I want to show the world the way that I see them. Man, listen. 
When I saw you taking pictures, I said, wait up, hold on, D-Nice is taking pictures, pictures. And you were really, really serious about it. I will always see you with your camera. And I was like, man, this guy is serious about what he's doing. Then the next pivot came. And I turned around, and you were the DJ that was killing all the corporate clubs. And then I turned around, and you were the guy who was DJing for Obama. And I was like, oh, oh, like, that, that was like a whole nother pivot. And, and how did that happen? Um, DJing, DJing has always been in me. No, actually, I'll take that back. The spirit of DJing has always been within me, right? I love music, you know, and as a music producer, all we do is listen to other records and analyze records and study them and, you know, reading the notes and understanding who played on what songs and, like, you know, like, that's always been, like, my passion. Coming back, returning on the scene as a DJ happened when one night when I went to see Q-Tip and Mark Ronson play. And and they had a party. I mean, they were doing multiple parties, but the party that really set it off for me was a party they had in New York City called Authentic Shit at a place called Table 50. And Mark and Tip played nothing but classic beats, whether it was old school hip hop or, you know, and, and I wasn't going out to parties at that time. You know, like I was away from the music scene. I wasn't, I wasn't that dude. I would, you know, I would try to go out to parties and like cats that are promoting used to be like, yo, I know who you are, but we got, you need to come in with like two women. And if you look, I, I'm a solo dude, like I roll alone pretty much everywhere, you know, like, so the idea that you won't let me, even though you know that I've made records in the past and you won't even allow me in as an artist, you know, respectfully allow me in. It, you know, I wasn't going to like conform and to be that type of dude. Like now I want to go out. I got to buy a bottle and sit there with a, a bunch of like people that I really don't want to hang out with. Like I didn't want to do that, you know. So I started promoting my own parties. But then when I saw Mark and Tip spin, it was just like, yo, you know what? I'm not only going to promote my own party. I'm going to DJ my own party, too. And. And uh, one night I called my buddy, Chris Lighty. I called him up and I told him I wanted to DJ. And he knew what I was doing. You know, I, had a, I owned a web development company. So, you know, I built Alicia Keys' site to Annie Lennox to, you know, um, Luther Vandross. Like, I was building sites and doing online marketing for Reebok for, you know. I was just doing a lot of stuff. And, and Chris saw where that was going. And he was like, yo, you don't want to ruin that for just to have that feeling as an artist again. But that's not what it was for me. It was never about just being an artist again. It was about having the 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 ability to play what I want to hear. Like, and I wanted to play it for the masses. Like, so the way I DJ now is no different than what I was doing when I came, when I returned to the scene. And it was, I built those chops up by basically going to all of the clubs, you know, like the hip hop clubs didn't want to let me in. All right, I'm going to go to the pop clubs. That's why I can play all of I mean, aside from loving the music, but I actually know how to play these records because the hip-hop dudes weren't really embracing me as a DJ. You know, like, they didn't understand it. They, they weren't embracing. And it was more like, it was really mainstream dudes, like mainstream DJs and, like, mainstream DJs that had the records in the past that was very, like, they were fans. Like, yo, I know who you are. Like, yo, this is great. Like, come and rock with us. So I went a different route. I went, I kind of, my grind was a different kind of struggle of like, 
being the one black dude that was rocking the mainstream parties. So I had to learn how to play EDM early on. And I, I had to learn how to play these records because I was the black dude in there and it wasn't that many of us in there, you know what I mean? And, and But I, I learned how to play the music because I just wanted to DJ. I just wanted to play music. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until like roughly, you know, around 2005, 2006 that I find my footing as a DJ, you know, in, in the clubs in New York City. You know, I took over Mark and T's party, authentic shit. I took that party over it and it just became like a D nice Thursday. And that was great, but the room was pretty small. So it didn't take much to pack that room. But then I started doing like canal room with like a bunch of my buddies and, and uh, you know, my buddy Kenny and not Kenny Smith, but um, I can't remember Kenny's last name, but like the crew from DC, my buddy Sabe, like, you know, we would all do like this Friday night party and in the middle of the party, I'll, this I will never forget, in the middle of the party, so this was around 2006, in the middle of that party, I don't know, I was just bored with the music and I ended up throwing on I Got a Woman from, from Ray Charles and there was no Kanye, there was no Gold Digger, none of those records out and that was a, that was a very, like, that was a pivotal moment for me as a DJ because I remember throwing it on and everyone stopped dancing and then they found the rhythm and they started dancing again. And, and from that moment, I was like, yo, I cannot be afraid to play music and be who I am. And I remember that one moment and that was a, that was a pivotal moment for me. Um, and then I ended up with a club, ended up rocking at a club for nearly like three years in New York City called Kane on 27th Street, which we had a party called Bunny Chow Tuesdays. And in that party, that party totally changed my life on how, how to be the black dude in the mainstream club. Mm -hmm. But I, I get to be who I am. And this time I get to tell my friends to come mm -hmm. because I'm not just playing pop records. I'm yep. still going to play the pop records that we love, but I'm going to play what I love. Not the full freedom because obviously I was working for someone. So yeah, you know, it still had to be a certain type of vibe but I had a little bit more freedom to explore with music, music, which was still a beautiful thing in terms of like learning how to play. So like when I hear like people today and they talk about like, oh, you know, oh, it was an overnight thing for him. I'm like, no, you just didn't understand what the grind was and you, you weren't paying attention and you weren't willing to do the same type of work that I was doing, you know, like, well, and. I'm gonna say this because you said something really, really powerful. People think that people come out of nowhere. What's happening is people are working when the lights are not on. You, they work for a long time when the, when the lights are not on. If you just heard his story, there was stories of rejection, stories of the people that he rocks with not dealing with him, having to go to someone else. I personally lived that myself. That is why I'm able to go into an EDM room, into a pop room, because sometimes when I was going to rap people, they weren't accepting me. I went to the EDM people, the pop people. Oh, we love you. Same story. And then I learned how to do that. And now that makes me three times as deadly because I can walk in the rap room, the EDM room, and the pop room. So that 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 is a very important thing that you everybody needs to pay attention to. So now we go to the next pivot. I now turn around and I see you DJing for Obama. And I say, well, where did the, he was just taking a picture. With, he was just taking pictures. Where did that come from? How did you wind up 
doing that. So DJ for the Obamas, um, you know, like, once again, man, it's no different than like what happens now in terms of like how I get gigs. You know, I've always been self-managed. I've never allowed money to be the decided factor in any gig that I do. Yes, I do want to make money. I'm not going to lie, it's business, you know, but those days, man, it's like, look, if someone needed me and it was a great opportunity and there was no budget involved, then yeah, I'm like, you know what? I'm off that day anyway. Mm -hmm. This looks like a great opportunity. Let's do it. I would do things like that. So my, my opportunity to DJ for the Obamas didn't happen because I knew the Obamas. It happened because I knew people that worked with them. And I knew people that worked with them, whether it was my friend, Belisha Butterfield, who was co-signing, you know, whether it was Michael Blake, who I work with now, you know, um, Assemblyman Michael Blake, you know, um, whether it was my friend, Sharon Yang, you know, Sharon Yang, um, she works with, she actually works with, with, um, with Facebook, actually. She, um, she was the person that when I first got an invitation, to, I was DJing in Chicago, and I, I received an invitation to head over to Obama for America, which was the campaign headquarters. And, you know, like, look, man, once I arrived and they were walking me, she was actually walking me around and introducing me to people, showing me everyone, like showing me the whole layout. And by the time we got to this vetting section, you know, I was like, I guess I'll eventually hear from them because they wanted me to DJ. She was like, oh, no, you've been vetted already. Like, you wouldn't even be here. I'll never forget that and how how like people have always rooted for me to do great things. You know, like I'm not in that room had it not been for those people that I just mentioned, had it not been for Belisha, had it not been for um, Sharon Yang, had it not been for Michael Blake, had it not been for DJ Cassidy, because yeah. DJ Cassidy was in there already. Yeah. You know, Cassidy was already in there DJing for him. So had it not been for these cosigns, then I wouldn't be in there, you know, and, and you know, and it's all divine. It's all God, you know, like, you know, working through people and, in, in in, you know, once I, my thing is this, once I get into something, I get into it. So I'm not the dude that's going to take this one, you know, moment and just seize the moment and then walk away from it. Like, no, I'm, I believe in, I truly believe in building relationships, you know, like, that's extremely important to me. Oh, listen, people listen, people listen. Please. I mean, I'm not trying to be preachy. No, I'm no, just no. trying to tell people. No, listen, people. Listen. How I got talk, here. Talk, talk, man, talk. Yeah, you know, it's um, the relationships are everything to me. You know, like my Rolodex is extremely. Is it's. I mean, you know, I use Rolodex because I'm old. I'm I'm turning fifty, so I still I still call my contacts my Rolodex. My 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 contacts are vast. You know, like. And it's from doing good things. It's not from like, yo, I'm trying to take advantage of you or I call you when I need something. Nine times, I don't want to just say nine times out of 10. 9.9 times out of 10, I don't call for anything. I'm just there if you need me. You know what I mean? So when people do something or if they come and they support me, it's because they wanted to. You know, it's not a prerequisite with me. Like, in order for me to be down with you, this is what you got to do. Like, I don't really believe in that. That's not who I am. That works for other people. It doesn't work with my spirit. You know, my spirit is like, I'm here for you. You know, like, I'm here for you because this feels like the right thing to do. And this is what makes me happy. Whatever your motive is, it's all good. You know, like, look, you asked me to do, 
you asked me to do this. I'm going to be so honest with you. I really didn't even want to get on IG at all this week to even talk to anyone because it's my birthday week. It's I was like, yo, I worked hard. I did everything for everyone. It's my birthday week. But you asked me to do this. And I'm like, yo, this is my man. Like, my man asked me to jump on. I'm going to do it. Other than that, I would have been like, I was like sitting on the balcony chilling. That's <laughs> crazy. Taking in the, the good air and just relaxing and doing some reading. And um, I mean, obviously doing some work, but just like, I want to oh, I want to always be there for people that are just good people, you know that are that are just good people, man. You know, like there's nothing like it, bro. You know, I, and and being kind to someone is the easiest thing to do. It's free. It's free. It cost you anything to be kind. It's so funny because we think so much alike. Just sitting here listening to you, I would be spitting out the same thing. I just want to ask you one question before we move forward. You said you walked into Obama for, for America. So that means that this is the first campaign. When you walked in there, did you say, Obama for America? How's a black man going to get into office? What, what were you thinking when you... No, 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 no. Just to get the timeline right. I work with... I, I DJ the second inaugural ball, okay. not the first one. So he okay. was already in office. Oh, so he was uh, already in office. Okay. Yeah, he was already in office. The only other political figure that I had worked with in the past was when Bill Clinton was on, on the campaign trail before he became president. You know, my my friend Tuffy that's always in here, Tuffy's sister. Tuff was good. Said, yeah, yeah. Tuffy's sis, sister set up something where, you know, I, I had to speak before, um, at the time, you know, future president um, Bill Clinton got on. And, um, and then I DJ for the Clinton Foundation, but he wasn't in office then. Mm -hmm. um, Barack Obama has been, he was the only sitting president that I ever DJed for. Well, I, got a, I got a question. Wait, hold, hold that thought. I what didn't is realize. it? Have I, you been to the, you've been to the White House? Hold on, hold that thought for one minute. I didn't realize I need to plug this in. Hold on. Plug it in. Listen, people, while he's plugging his shit in, because he was, I just let him talk. At a point, at a point I just didn't even jump in. I just let the man talk because he's dropping so many gems. Um... You really need to go back. I'm going to post this on Instagram later tonight. Actually, I'm going to post it right after we get off. You need to go back and listen to this whole thing because you just got a lesson taught to you about life, about relationships, about the importance of not doing things for money as the primary factor because when you do it just for money, sometimes you miss out on opportunities that may be in your face that... Although they don't, they don't have a lot of money attached to them, it's the relationship and what could happen next that will take you to the next place. So I was going back to what I was saying. You went to the White House to do the inaugural ball, correct? No, the inaugural ball wasn't at, in the White House. The inaugural ball was um, at the convention center. Oh, at the convention center. Have but you I have been to the White House to DJ, but yes, the inaugural ball was at the convention center. Okay, so my question is, what is it like for some of us who may never go to the White House? What's the process? What do you have to do? How do they treat you? What happens when you go in? Tell us how it is to be in the White House. Um, well, my experience is different than what someone else's experience, you know, um, would, would have been or would be now going to the White House. Um, you know, I was already I was already vetted and cleared, like, you know, because I did the inaugural ball, you know, so... 
going to the White House was, yeah, you know, of course you still have to be co-signed to get in there. I mean, it is the president of the United States of America. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's no different than, you know, it's just, I mean, I don't know what to compare it to, but I will say this though, the spirit, look, no matter what the history is behind the White House and politics and everything, honestly, when you walk into that building, you can't help but to feel like you are experiencing history, you know, like to walk in there and to actually, to actually see these paintings on the wall, you know, to see paintings of presidents, you know, like, you know, or to see paintings of like former first ladies, like, you know, like it's, it's, I mean, it's powerful. I, I don't want to call it spiritual, but like, it's very powerful. Like, wow, like there's so much history here, good and bad, you know, and, um, but at the time, you know, it's, it was a great experience and not just because, but I'm always going to celebrate the fact that Barack Obama was our first black president. Like I'm not never going to shy away from that. Like I love that. And I love the fact that I DJ for the first black president, but it was also a great experience just DJing for a president period. You know, like it was just great to be there and to know like this kid that used to sleep on a sofa in the living room, across from his grandmother, from his great-grandmother, you know, decades later, is like shaking hands with a president, a sitting president in the White House. Like, that's kind of, you know, kind of a surreal thing there, you know? That's a, that's a big thing. Spinderella, what's going on? We see you. Uh, every night, people, I do this on Instagram Live, 6 p.m. Saturday is Will I Am. Tomorrow's my chance to show your talent. You can do it. If you haven't followed me, follow me, and I'll let you know who I'm coming with every single day. Final pivot. Final pivot. You're at home now. You're going to go down in history. You don't even know you're going to go down in history. It's one of the bona fide stars to come out of the pandemic. And oh, wow. it's what I call the quote-unquote D-nice moment. Right place, right time, right situation, right people, where you're prepared and an opportunity comes and you maximize. It's a historic story. It's a feel-good ride. And when I saw it, I was so happy for you. Like, I haven't been happy for someone like that in a long time because the light got put on you, and it was like that picture where you were just like this. You were, you were out of here. So where were you when you first learned of the pandemic? Where were you when you first said, found out that there was a pandemic and things were bad? I can't remember where I was when I found out about the pandemic, to be honest with you, because I traveled, you know, last year I did 400,000 flight miles, you know, so I was pretty much traveling every day. So I didn't receive my news the way that everyone else would, you know, my news was, you know, I, I would, I mean, of course, you know, I, I read the newspapers, but I would be lying to you to say that I woke up every morning and I read a newspaper, like, no. I probably read the paper every other day or every third day or something like that, you know, like, so I knew what was going on in terms of like, um, um, you know, that there was the, 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 the virus out there, but I wasn't following it like that. And I happened to be in Detroit when I visited my daughter, when I found out that we were going to be quarantined mm -hmm. and, and it really started with them, um, with LA being quarantined. But, you know, all of my gear, including my laptop that I DJ with, was in L.A. So I had to go to L.A. to make sure. I mean, look, I had gigs, you know, like Miami, you know, all of the music festivals, you know, like. So I needed to make sure I had my tool with me. 
you know, for legal reasons. I didn't want to be sued and not show up to any gig or whatever. So I didn't think it was going to. I just thought it was Los Angeles locking things down. And then while I was out in L.A., then that's when it, you know, the news was coming out that it was getting, it started to progress. Um, and I mean, still, I didn't think it was going to be like, be, I don't think any of us did, that we would be quarantined this long. Um, but yeah, I was, I was in L.A., um, you know, when I, when all of this happened, obviously, when it was like sitting here at home and, and realizing that so many of the things, my, so let me put it to you like this, right? My experience is the same as everyone's. This thing that happened with me of uh, playing music at the right time has nothing to do with skills. Like it has nothing to do with DJ skills at all to me, you know, like, because I wasn't DJing. I was literally just playing music and people were coming. And it was the spirit of the chat that people were having while I was playing music. It wasn't about the music. We all have the same music. We all can play the same records. Uh, you know, I was in Brian Michael Cox joint last night and it was like, we all play the same records, maybe in a different order, but it's still the same feeling of like, same records that we all play, like it's great. Like none of us are sitting there with the band. We're, we're playing pre-recorded music. And, you know, so it wasn't about me as much as, you know, some people tend to kind of say it and I appreciate the compliments, but nah, man, it was the spirit of the people that were in that chat and the spirit of the people that pretended that, you know what, we're stressed out right now. We were all stressed out, but I'm going to pretend that I'm in a club. I didn't create that idea of pretending that we were in a club that was created by the people inside of this IG live. The people that were like, yo, I'm gonna send D-Nice a bottle to the booth. Oh, yo, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, John Legend is in VIP, they won't let him in VIP. Yo, Blue Williams, go and get him. It right. was the spirit of having fun and light fun that I still have not seen in anyone else's IG. But I'm not making this up. I go to other IGs, I pop in, I listen to the music, I, I read the combo, and it's like, it's nothing like the spirit of this virtual club quarantine. I had never seen anything like this. And it's like people that come into an IG and just allow their imaginations to just flow. And like, let's just have a good time. We're not going to, we've already dealt with like COVID and we're stuck at home. So for this time, for the two hours that he's here, we're gonna just imagine being someplace else. Right. And that is the spirit of like what happened that night, that's the mm -hmm. spirit of what continues to happen when I sign online. It's not about me. I'm just, honestly, I'm just the dude that's just playing the music that helps people get through that conversation. And it's powerful, bro. And, and it, it's so powerful to me that one day when I, I just, I wanted to, I wanted other people to see the faces and, and hear the voices of other, other like IG members. And I started this thing called the meetup. I didn't play one song. And it was still like 8,000 people consistently in there for four hours of conversation. You know what I mean? And then at the end of oh. it, when you, look at, you look at the stats, it was like 121,000 people that had flowed through there. And this was all based on conversation. And this was all based on people meeting each other. So I don't want to take, I don't want the, the credit doesn't fully belong to me. I'm a conduit of, of like what was happening, but it doesn't fully belong to me. It belongs to people. And, and the way that they decided to communicate with each other and embrace each other. And it's a beautiful thing to see. What, 
When did you realize that this just wasn't a normal amount of people in the room? When did you realize that you had actually done something historic? Like, when did that, when did that hit you? By the time we reached, so I didn't know anything about the stats of like who was going in anyone's IG live. So there was nothing for me to compare it to. Like I didn't, I just, you know, I mean, I can imagine if Justin Bieber signed on or if he had ever used his IG live that there would be masses of people in there. Like, so I never looked at the numbers like that. The only thing that I looked at was 200 people on day one, 600 people on day two, you know, 2,000 people on day three, some random reason, 20,000 20, people on day four. And then Saturday night, we just kept watching this number rise and rise and rise and rise. And the 100,000 person goal wasn't even a goal. It was just like, we just kept looking at this number rise and all we wanted to do was see it reach 100,000 people. That was it. And once again, that wasn't based on me. Most of the people that came there didn't know who I was, and the people that knew who I was that were coming in there didn't even know I was DJing because most of my career had done private events and small clubs. And, you know, so, like, my fans from my D-Nice BDP fans never really knew what I was doing, you right. know. So for it to reach 100,000 people to simultaneously be in a chat and to hold that number and to have people, you know, that represented, you know, millions of people in there, Throughout, the, throughout that day, millions of people had listened. And that wasn't because of me. You know, I mean, I was playing the music and it was my IG, but it was because other people were calling their friends. You know, yeah. Khaled was in there. Yes, I know Khaled. Yeah, I know Rihanna, but they weren't in there because, oh, I'm following D-Nice. Like, no, they were in there because Lenny S was like, yo, you got to see this. This yep. is crazy. Come in here. Missy Elliott pops in. That wasn't because Missy was like, oh, let me see what D-Nice is doing. No, this is Lenny S. Like, yo, Missy, you need to be in here. Everyone's in here. So it was things like that. And then not just celebrity. It was people, just the average person that was in there listening, calling their friends. You know, Tasha2315 was like calling her friend like, yo, you need to see this. Like, D-Nice is playing and everyone is in here. And, you know, the, the timing was right. You know, this could not, which is so crazy. Like, I don't, like, I don't really celebrate what's been going on in my career it does feel good but the fact that it took the world to stop for a minute for something like this to happen is a it's a humbling feeling because of what we're all dealing with in during this pandemic um nothing but gratitude uh, and and you know i i feel extremely blessed you know like that i could it that it was me you know like but it wasn't an overnight thing. Right. It was, it was the, the 35 years of being in the music industry that made people comfortable enough mm -hmm. to want to be there. Yep. The 35 years of being nice to people while they were like, yo, this is happening. Let's go see what he's doing. So, yeah, man. It's That's what I call the D-nice moment. It just, it, it just is, it is what it is. When I hopped in, Michelle Obama had been in there and then he said, what up? Yo, Joe Biden was in there. Then he says, Mark Zuckerberg was in there. So now you're looking at all this and you're like, oh my God, you, you, you sign off. You sign off yeah. now. That night when you sign off, the phone calls got to be coming. Who's calling? And what are they saying? Oh, no, I can't repeat that. But yes, the phone <laughs> calls. I don't want, I don't want, you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying yeah, yeah. is 
The it calls were, were calls from strong calls coming. The calls were definitely coming. The calls still come, and the calls were a bit much. And because of the spirit of everything, I turned the phone off because it wasn't about what was coming through. And I'm only looking at my phone now because I have um, an interview and I want to know the exact time so we can continue this this conversation. And I have uh, D.L. Hughley. Um, That's my guy right there. D.L. D.L.'s a good guy. The, the, the thing um, about but the thing about the, I'm sorry to cut you off because I, I do want to finish it. The thing about it, man, and this is why I feel like people are loyal to my IG. Authenticity is everything, man. And it's like my spirit, and, and this is no pat on the back, and this is really why even when I'm tired, I sign online to play, is because the same way that I help people get through this musically, like I'm not, I'm not a doctor, I didn't cure COVID, nothing, but like your mental, you being quarantined, is something that we just aren't used to, man. Like, nope. I can't imagine being incarcerated or anything like that. After this experience, it's like, I, know, I, I like my freedom, you know what I mean? Like, so we were all going through something together and I needed that to be known by the people that were in there, that we were in there together. This wasn't about, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about any of that. So to accept offers, to accept offers, like, yeah, since then I've been DJing and I've, you know, this to accept offers those those oh my gosh can you find out? I'm sorry tell him Henry found out said what's up that's my guy so it's um fielding offers like after this thing blew up and everyone was talking about it for me to be out there like oh I'm gonna take this deal I'm gonna take that deal I was like man we are stuck in 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 we're quarantined like if someone wants to work with with me right now they will want to work with me in three months. And or in three weeks, you know what I'm saying? Like, and if they if they don't want to work with me in three weeks, so the spirit of this can stay pure and stay what it is, then that means that I shouldn't have been working with them in the first place. Because then it, all it was for you was an, a money opportunity, an opportunity to be a part of a movement. And I do feel like it's a movement, you know, like and not just for me. Like I feel like it's a movement for so many people, you know, that are creating right now on 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 not just IG but just in social media. Period. Like. There are a lot of creative things that happened during this time, and people have started businesses during this time. So, yes, it's a very trying time for a lot of people, but I think in the long run, the spirit of, like, what happened will inspire other people to find their true passion, you know, and not just live. Like, I don't want to just live, man. Like, I want to enjoy life. Like, I want to... You know, I want I want to do things that make me happy. I don't, you know, what I'm saying like I want to be alive. You know, and and I hope that 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 like came across to people. You know, like you know, there are times when I the hardest thing for me to do this week was to stay off of IG. I stayed off of IG because my kids are here, and you know, I really wanted my birthday to be something special. I didn't want to play music until it was I played music for myself, and you know. It, that's how much I love DJing for, for people, you know, like music is, is everything to me. You know, it's everything to you, bro. Everything. I watched your career. I watched from the radio stuff and and you flipped it like, yo, you know what? This is why I want to make records, you know, to where you made one of the, 
biggest and the classic record that will never die. You know, there's no other record that will get people hyped like your record. So I know that you understand the energy behind this and, and the feeling behind what, what what's happening. You know, and, and like, look, I honestly, I wish for everyone, bro. Oh, I'm not trying to get emotional. Not that, bro, but I really wish that ev everyone has the feeling of doing what you love for a living. Woo. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, we should all have that feeling of like, I wake up and I think about music. I wake up thinking about songs like, damn, I haven't played this in forever. You know, like, you know, I, so like not being on IG DJing, not playing music or even like having these chats. Yeah, it's been like, like real deal withdrawals going on here. But because I felt like I deserved this little break, my family deserved it. And I really want my party, this virtual party, to just be special. And for mm -hmm. when I play whatever song, to just feel fresh all over again, you know. And it was just important to me to, to feel that way. You, you know, people, he said something. I mean, honestly, it's like anybody who knows me, it's like he talking without with being skinny and wearing a hat. He's saying everything that I would say. People, if you love what you do, it is not a job. People also do not forget Every night I do this at 6 p.m. Tomorrow is Show Your Talent. Saturday is Will I Am. And I have one final question for you. And people, if you have not followed me, please do, so you know who's going to be coming on the next day. Final question. What are you going to do after this? Is it Club Quarantine, the tour? Is it merchandise? What, what are you going to do? What's the next move? Um... I don't know, man. You know, like, it, honestly, I don't know what this world looks like when this is over. You know, when this is over and people are trying to get back to work, like, do you really want to go and be around a bunch of people? Do you really want to spend the money being at, you know, at a club for bottle service? Like, I think, I think people have learned a lot during this time, man, and learned a lot in terms of the music that you listen to. Um, I even see, like, some artists, like, you know, little baby and these dudes even switching up some of the music that they're making to be a little bit more conscious. Like, you don't have to change everything, but to just be a little bit more conscious. So I don't know what what this feeling is going to be or what this thing is going to become. Would I love to tour and do a virtual club or a, a club quarantine? I don't know if I would call it club quarantine because I don't know what that word is going to, like how it's going to resonate with people when this is over. You know, would I do a CQ tour? If the people want it and they wanted to come out and experience it live, absolutely, you know. Um, but really, man, I don't. I'm just flowing with it because I couldn't have predicted this. <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't have predicted what happened. You know, like the 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 level of success that has happened. You know, and for this to be a way that so many people were able to find their true passion. But I don't work for Instagram. I never pretend that I work for Instagram, but I will say this, that this platform and platforms like, like it, but I will say this platform in particular because of the ease of getting into these IG lives has like just reinvigorated people in their spirits of like you interviewing, you know what I mean? Like Kenny Burns and like my friend Louise doing like training sessions, you know, workout sessions, you know, like people finding ways to still do what they love virtually to reach even more people. Like, I mean, I, I've been a Debbie Allen fan forever. I've never even been in a room with Debbie Allen. 
I ended up working with Debbie Allen the other day, you know, like somebody I grew up admiring, you know, talking about fame, baby, like, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, so yep. I just feel like you just never know what, what's going to happen, man. So I hope that at the end of this, that when this is all over, that I'm able to at least get out and meet some of the people that I've met along the way in this club quarantine experience. And um, I don't know if I'll hug everyone. Then with COVID, I don't know about hugging anyone ever again, but like to have, feel that energy, <laughs> I would love that. And um, I don't know, man, like, you know, of course, you know, I've always been working on my book, you know, but like, yeah, to finally release my book, that would probably be the thing that I'm most excited about is to, is to share my story and to share my photography with people. I'll tell you like this, whether you know it or not, quarantine when it comes to D-nice will not be a bad word. People will want to see it. People will want to experience it. It will bring back a time. And even though we're going through a terrible time, is people still going to have good feelings about what you did. So you're definitely going to do that club quarantine tour. You definitely have to do it. It's, it's something that's going to be needed and essential because at the end of the day, it was a moment in time. I just want to say I love you, brother. Always, bro. I'll be there for you. Just tell me where to be. I ain't going nowhere until March 2021, most likely, when the clubs open back up again for real. I'm going to be here for you, brother. Thank well, you. Well, I will say this, man. I don't want you to sign off just yet. I do want to say this, man. You've always been... You know, you you know, I, I watch you, and you you always giving kudos to the people that you've interviewed. And I will say this, bro: it's like there are very few people that were always kind to me in this business. You know, I'm talking artists. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people would do things because they wanted something from you. I never made a record with you. I've never done any of that stuff. You know, and and every time that I was around you, you you treated me like I was Jay Z, like. You know, you treated me like I was Trey Songz. You, you, you've never been a dude that seemed to just be cool with me because I was hot. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and I want people to know that about you. You know, like you, you, you have always been that dude of just, you know what I'm saying? Like, there are people that you meet, and that's why I said that that what happened to me is not, it's not, it's not really just about me, man. You know what I'm saying? Like. The spirit of you, of just being that dude that made me feel like, yo, I can be on the mic in these clubs when I'm rocking. You know, like, my man Fat Man Scoop is killing it. We'll run into you in Singapore. Like, I remember DJing in Singapore, and your billboards were up. Like, oh, Scoop will be here next week. Like, this is crazy, you know? Like, so I admire you, bro. You know, and I, I admire your journey, and I respect your journey, and... and you know, I, I wish you nothing but success, man. You know, and, and health. I, well, I wish you health, man. Great health first during this crazy time. But to always to always have success and 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 not not be defined by financial success, but like doing what you love, man. So when this when this is all over, when 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 I when we're closing up shop, well, I know I don't know about you, but I want to look back and be like, man, yo, what a life I led, bro. Like, mm -hmm. and, you know. So yeah, bro. And I, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. You know something? It's very scary because I just hopped on here to interview you. But I realize more, more and more throughout this interview that me and you are the same person. Yep. We do things the same way. We have the same energy. We don't just do something for somebody because they're hot. 
We, we don't just reach out to somebody because they're hot. And in our line of work, there's so many people that saw some real bullshit. It's hard to, to find somebody who's a real one. When I come to L.A., I'm definitely coming to see you, bro. I'll be here. No doubt. I and I will see you when you get here. I get you. I catch you later. Shout out to the CQ family. Like, now I can look down and see who's in this joint. Everybody in here. Everybody in here, man. It's crazy. These people crazy in here. No, I love it, though. I'm seeing all... Look, I see the family up in here, man. What up, Aaron? Connect. I see you. Everybody. Yeah, it's a good thing, though, man. And it's... it's look, man. And, and, and also, what's beautiful about, like, about this platform is, like, as soon as they're done with you, if Rayshon started, like, an IG Live right now, people would go and hang out because that's how people have been supporting each other. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, so... Somebody signed an RG Live so I can come in and say what's up. Actually, I need, oh. I'm tripping. I need to do this interview. I'm like, I'm, I'm over here, you know, like doing this brotherly love stuff. I'm like, wait a minute. I got, I got to jump on with DL. Hop <laughs> on with you, man. Hop on with DL. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm text you later on tonight, brother. We'll talk later. All right, my brother, man. Good to see you. Love you. Love, you. love you. Make Noise with Fat Man Scoop is produced by myself alongside Raj Kachacha and the team at creativecontentagency.com. Please support this podcast by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I love that. And by following this podcast on Spotify and sharing links to episodes you enjoy with your friends. Do it. You can also email the show via podcast at fatmanscoop.com. I answer that. Or you can DM me at Fat Man Scoop. Yes, I answer DMs.